today will be very atypical. Okay, so as Jalen said, as Pastor Rod said, today is Connect Sunday. And our hope in this is that all of us would feel more connected, that we would pursue connection with the body of Christ. And so I'm going to ask you today to participate quite a bit throughout the message. So there's going to be portions where you're participating, where you're interacting with folks around you. So I hope you sat by people you like this morning, all right? Because if you didn't, tough luck, all right? So we are focusing on the book of Philippians here and going through our identities. At Gospel Hope Church, we have six identities that we believe should be woven through the DNA of our church. As Rod said, the first one that we learned was, what was the first one? Dependent Dependent children. Very good. And then last week, we took a look at the idea of being potential little disciple makers. Tommy gets a gold star. Very good. And this week, we're going to look at the idea of being responsible siblings, because we believe that the church is not like a family, it is a family. And so we are not like brothers and sisters, we are brothers and sisters, and that means we should treat one another in certain ways. And I think Philippians chapter 2 is going to help us significantly. So can we pause and ask for the Lord's help in the next few minutes? Lord, we do need you, and we pray that your spirit would come. And I pray uniquely today, Lord, that your spirit would come and be the spirit of unity. That we would draw us together. That you would help us to see that we don't walk this path alone, but that we have brothers and sisters who love the same Father and who are heading down this Christian walk, this journey together. I pray that you would knit our hearts together. Show us the wonder the gift, the sweetness of being part of your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the title of the message this morning is simply this, it is longing to belong. And that's really true of all human beings in some way, shape, or form, they long to belong. And one way we see that illustrated is back in 1985, there was a great famine in Africa. And during that time, two very famous musicians, Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, came together and they wrote a song. And that song was, We Are the World. world. Very good. Some of you are old enough to remember. Others of you are not. Okay. Um, When they wrote this song, We Are the World, it was a smashing success. They recruited some of the most famous musicians of the time, dozens of them, and We Are the World flew up the music charts throughout the world, became the fastest selling American pop single in history, as well as the very first song ever to be certified multi-platinum. Perhaps the line that most captures the essence of We Are the World is this. Cindy Lauper sang this line and she said this. Let us realize that change can only come when we stand together as one. To me, there's just like something that feels right about that sentiment. Like if you're a human being and you hear that statement, like something in your gut says, yeah, That's true. Like, we're not made to be at each other's throats. We're made to work together. We're made to accomplish something bigger than ourselves. And this should really come as no surprise for us. Because the reality is, is that this idea that human beings are made for one another is woven into the very fabric of creation. 
When you read the creation account of Genesis chapter 1, a clear pattern emerges. Follow with me up on the screen here. Um, Genesis chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 3 through 25. I'm going to point to you at a particular point when you see a word that gets repeated over and over and over again. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was... Verse 9, then God said, let water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And God saw that it was? Verse 11, then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, fruit-bearing trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in according to their kind. And God saw that it was? Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And God saw that it was? Verse 20, then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let the birds fly above the, across the expanse of the sky. And God saw that it was? Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock, creatures that crawl, and wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. Verse 25, and God saw that it was? See a pattern? God creates, he says it's good. Then we get to verse number 25 and 26 and the creation of man. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And we skip down to chapter 2 and God breaks the pattern. Then the Lord God said, it is not that man should be alone. Creates, it's good creates, it's good, creates, it's good, creates, it's good, gets to man, creates, not good. The first ungoodness in the world, I know that's not a real word, is related to man's aloneness. Or to put it very simply, human beings were created for community. We were created for community. And can't you feel that? I mean, I'm not thinking, don't you think that? I'm saying, can't you feel that? Can't you feel it way down in your bones? It's why it's hard for us to see a kid sitting by themselves at the lunchroom. It's why it stings to be left out of the inside joke. It's why cubicles are coming down in favor of shared workspaces. It's why solitary confinement is a punishment. Because we all know, we all know at some fundamental level that we long to belong. All of us know that. Because this is the reality is in our DNA, the Bible consistently calls us not only to pursue a relationship with God, which we should, absolutely, we should pursue a relationship with God, but the Bible also calls us to pursue a relationship with others. Let me just give you a brief survey of some of the scriptures on that matter. Matthew chapter 12, verse 37 says it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or 1 John 4, verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. Or 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. Well, why is that the case? For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, the Bible just consistently says you've got to love the Lord, yes, but you've also got to love people. We need a vertical relationship in our lives and we need horizontal relationships in our lives. Sometimes 
people have this idea that it's, hey, it's just me and Jesus, baby. No, wrong. That is not the confession of the Bible. It is not just you and Jesus. It is you and Jesus and other people who love Jesus along with you. The simple fact of the matter is this, is that our love for God is demonstrated by our love for others. You cannot love God and not love other people. It's impossible because the Lord himself says the way that you love him is by loving other people. The the idea is this, that you simply cannot live a healthy Christian life in isolation. It's an impossibility. You cannot live a healthy Christian life in isolation. Yes, it might be easier, maybe more convenient. It may save you heartache, but it's not healthy and it's sub-Christian. Because when you, the way you love God is by loving other people. Or as we like to say it around here, Christianity is a team sport. It's a lot more like football than it is like golf. You need others to live a healthy Christian existence. So that really leads me to my point this morning. And it's simply this. We must pursue biblical community. So if you can't live healthy on your own, then the implicit call in that is that we need to pursue biblical community. So that raises the question in my mind, what does that look like? What does it look like to live in community with other believers? Well, I think this is where Philippians 2 is so helpful for us. For in it, the apostles Paul speaks with the Philippians and he calls them to certain commitments He's basically saying, hey, hey, beloved church, if you're going to share community with one another, there are going to be certain things that you are committed to. And we can see these in the text. So what I want to point out to you this morning is three commitments of biblical community. In other words, if you are going to live in Christian community with other brothers and sisters in Christ, you must commit to at least these three things. Okay, you with me on that? So first one is simply this, we trust the same Savior. If you're going to be committed to Christian community, you trust the same Savior together. The passage starts out like this. Look at verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation in love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Did you notice the repetition of the word what? If. Now, these ifs in this passage are not an expression of doubt. It's not like Paul is saying like, if my team wins or if I win the lottery. These ifs are really a rhetorical device. It's like Paul is saying something like this. If two plus two equals four, and it does... Then, 4 minus 2 equals 2. Okay, that was math for some of you that aren't familiar with that discipline, but okay. He's saying these things are true, or since these things are true would be one way to translate it. Paul is saying these things are a reality. Paul is essentially reminding the believers that they have all, what they have all received through Jesus. You see, when a person turns from their sins and puts their hope in Christ, all kinds of blessings immediately come to them. Okay, if you've trusted in Jesus, you know this is true. Like, once in that moment, 
When you put your hope in Christ, certain things come to you right then. And Paul lists out four of them. He says, hey, when you trust in Christ, you have the hope of knowing that you are right with God. You, you experience the comfort of feeling secure in Christ's love. You, you feel the presence of God's empowering spirit and the joy of being treated with tenderness and compassion. When you trust in Jesus, all of those things are true for you. God has done so much for those who trust in Jesus. So much. Yes, heaven still awaits us. But there is an awful lot of sweetness in the here and now that we enjoy because of Jesus today. Let me explain that a little bit more. At present, our salvation is both incomplete and incredible. At present, our salvation is both incomplete and incredible. You say, what do you mean by that, Warren? Well, sometimes we think that, hey, one day Jesus will save us. And is that true? Like one day Jesus will save us, meaning sin will be no more, death will be no more, all of the former things will pass away, we will spend eternity with God in heaven, there will be no more temptation, none of that. All of that will be gone and we will be finally and completely saved. And sometimes we can have the temptation to think about Christianity as a then and there religion. That is, one day we will experience all of these blessings. We will. But the fact of the matter is, is that Christianity is a then and there religion. It is also a here and now religion. In other words, just because we don't have the whole enchilada yet doesn't mean we have some sweetness right now. So a couple weeks ago, I had the uh, privilege to go skiing in Utah. Um, up in the mountain. It was, it was breathtaking. And I was going to the ski resort for the purpose of skiing. That's why I was going there. That makes sense, right? You go to ski resorts to ski. But before I got swooshing down the mountain, guess what you had to do? You had to ride the lift up. And let me tell you something. Skiing was awesome. It was fun. It was fast. I really enjoyed myself. But riding up the lift was pretty good as well. There were blessings on the way up. Not the full enchilada, but there were blessings on the way up. And I think what Paul is getting at here is, yes, heaven is your home and your salvation is not incomplete, but it's still pretty incredible. Right now, you are the beneficiary, beneficiaries of some of the blessings that are in Christ Jesus. But then Paul takes it a step further. Verse number two, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So Paul's saying, hey, heaven's not here yet, but you have a lot of blessings and you should share those blessings with others as well. Those blessings that you have, others who have trusted in Jesus also have those same blessings and you should share them with them. That should be a source of unity among you. Or to put it plainly, all believers trust the same Savior and experience the same salvation. This immediately builds unity and affinity in God's people. Look, the Jesus that Tiandra knows, I know. I know that's surprising, really, I know, shocking. The forgiveness that Derek has experienced, I have experienced. 
The Spirit's guidance. The Spirit's guidance that Jacques has felt. I have felt the joy of the Lord that Ed has known in his life. I have known. Why? Because we trust the same Savior. We experience the same salvation. And that should bring unity among God's people. We, we should be people who are constantly sharing with one another the sweetness that we experience in Jesus because we trust the same Lord. Anybody here been to Disney World? Anybody? Okay, raise your hand. Very good. Great. How many of you recently, like last five years, been to Disney World? Okay, good. All right, ready? Here's the question. Who rode the Avatar ride? Yes, that's the response I'm looking for right there. Ari, how would you describe that ride in a word? A thrill. That's two words, Ari. That's two. A thrill. Thrilling. Let me, let us, yeah, thrilling. Yeah, very good. If you've ridden that ride, who else has been to Disney World? Okay. And you start, so yeah, Zach went not too long ago. And, uh, he came back, he's like, hey, I was like, how was your trip? I was like, pretty good. And he was like, dude, the Avatar ride. And I was like, I know, right? He, here's the thing, that ride's amazing, it really is. It's amazing. And as soon as somebody else has experienced it, you want to share that experience with them. Because you know how awesome it is. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Hey, if you have received comfort from Christ, if you've had encouragement from the Spirit, if there is joy, if there is tenderness and affection, fulfill my joy by doing what? Well, share it with one another. You serve the same Savior. You've experienced the same salvation. So begin to build unity by sharing that with one another. We as a church can be communal. We can have community because we have so much in common. Listen, if you don't even know the names of the person sitting across the aisle from you, if they've trusted in the same Savior, you have a world in common. So how do we practically live that out? Well, we're going to do it right now. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of one way, one way that the Lord has been showing kindness to you. It's one way the Lord has been gracious to you in the last month. Just think of one way. Okay, got it? And I want you to encourage someone sitting by you by sharing a way that the Lord has been kind to you. Try it not to be your spouse. Try it to be someone else, okay? Share one way that the Lord has been encouraging to you. Go!
All right. Amen. How, how do you feel? That was super simple. How do you feel right now? Okay, okay good. You, you listen to their story, and it makes sense to you. Why? Because you've experienced the same thing. We trust the same Savior, and that brings us together. But that's not the only thing that brings us together, the basis of our community. The other commitment that we have to live in community is this. Number two, we demonstrate a common care. Look at verse 2 again. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same, what's it say? Love. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. So not only are believers committed to the same Savior, but they're also committed to care for one another. As you read through the New Testament, time and time again, believers are called to be known for their mutual love and affection for one another. John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 1 John Four, dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Look, love for one another is the distinguishing mark of the people of God. And this should come as no surprise to us. We have been adopted by a loving heavenly father. We have been brought into the family By the most loving act in all the world, the death of Jesus Christ, our older brother. We have been born again into a family whose hallmark is love. It is no wonder then that the dominant characteristic of the spiritual family is to be love for one another. And again, way down deep in your knower, don't you know that to be true? Man, I was sitting up in equip this morning. And um, people were walking in the door um, in the typical gospel hope fashion. Late. Um, <laughs> in they come. And you know what happened in my heart every time somebody came in? It was almost like a little flutter happened. Like seriously, like I'm like, I genuinely love that person. Oh, look, it's, it's Valerie. Oh, I'm so glad Valerie's here. She was late, yeah. <laughs> look, Ed is here, even later. <laughs> I love Ed. And you know the thing is, it, it's not because, it's not so much because we have all these shared experiences. It's not simply because our personalities just naturally click. Because these are my brothers and sisters. And I love them because they are mine. They belong to me. They are my father's children. And therefore, they are my brothers and sisters. And therefore, in my heart for them, there is love. We need to simply begin to believe what Jesus says is true. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. They are. It's not they're like it. They are. These are my people. So what does this practically mean for us? What does it mean to live out of this reality? 
I think it means that we should pray for one another at the very least. If we really care about one another, we should pray for one another. If you're a member of Gospel Hope, um, one of the benefits of membership, what happens is you go on my prayer list, okay? And periodically, you will receive a text for me, from me, that I am praying for you, something in particular, okay? So many of you have come up to me and say, Pastor Ryan, man, I really appreciate that text. And, and here's the thing. I was thinking about that the other day as I was going through and just praying for the members of our church. I was like, I like really enjoy doing this. Like I like texting these people because I love them, like genuinely. Like it's not an act, it's not like a duty, like I actually love them because God has given me a heart for you because you're my family. And so I'm not suggesting necessarily that you need to pray through the membership of the church. That's not what I'm saying. It's not a bad suggestion. If you want to do that, praise God. But I would say, man, are you regularly praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that's just one very tangible, simple, Christ-ordained way that we can show love for one another. By just praying for one another. Doesn't have to be elaborate. Doesn't have to be spectacular. We just are saying, you know what? I love these people and therefore I'm going to seek the face of God on their behalf. How can I be praying for you? Man, I want to see God's best in your life. I want to see you walking with him. So guess what we're going to do right now? We're going to pray for one another because this is a participatory sermon. So right now, I want you to grab someone else. Okay, you may have to do a little finagling. Grab someone else, and I want you to just ask this question. Hey, what's the biggest struggle in your life right now, and how can I pray for you? Okay? Now, look, like you don't want to be here till 4 o'clock. So this isn't a counseling session right now. So just in a sentence, be like, you know what? You can really pray for me that, you know, I would parent my kids well, or I'm having a struggle at work right now, or whatever it is. Just share it briefly, and then I would suggest just put your hand on them and pray for them. All right then. Okay? Can we do that? Okay. Ready, set, go. You may need to hop up and move.
Father, we thank you that the church ought to be a community of care. And I pray that we would love one another with a brotherly affection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Look, there was nothing like varsity level about that. And yet just simply praying for one another can have a profound influence on one another's life. So let's be people that show our care by taking our knees to the Heavenly Father. Let's, that, let's just let that be an instinct in our heart. Last thing is this, number three. A commitment of the Christian community is this, is that we follow a mutual mandate. Look at verse number three. Paul lays down a clear command here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as far more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. In other words, the church is to be marked by radical humility. Believers should be actively seeking to selflessly serve one another. And look, this is counterintuitive for all of us, right? Because all of us love me some me. I mean, I'm my number one fan. And genuinely, I think you should be too. I mean, that's just the way my heart is wired. It's the way your heart is wired. And yet, the Lord calls us away from our intrinsic selfishness to a selflessness. Matthew 18, verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child, this one, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Look, in God's economy, the way up is always down. Every time. In God's economy, the way up is down. I remember a number of years ago, we tried to instill this into our children. Hey, is it better to serve or to be served? Well, it's better to be served. Or I'm sorry, it's better to serve. <laughs> great, great parenting. And I remember when, when my two oldest boys were little, they, I, I think they were fighting over a ball or something like that. And, uh, you know, I tried to get real pastoral on them. I'm like, okay, boys, you know, um, you know, the Bible says that it, it, it's, it's better to serve than to be served. So, you know, which of you really wants what's better right now? And they kind of sat there for a minute. And then Calvin says, okay, I'll let Ian serve me. Uh, <laughs> just really tried to store up treasures in heaven for his brother. It's wonderful. But don't we all identify? It is really hard for us to believe what Jesus says that is better to give than to receive. We all like to naturally receive a lot more. But here's the thing. If a group was marked by this type of selflessness, it is better to give than to receive. It is better to serve others than to be served by others. If a group was marked by that, would that not be attractive? Let me give you an example of that. Um, take, for instance, Popeye's versus Chick-fil-A. Now, now, the quality of the chicken sandwiches, it, whatever your opinion, okay? Okay, this is... Let's just say the quality of the chicken sandwiches is not that far apart. Let's just assume that, okay? 
Okay, okay. <laughs> Pastor Rod's dogmatic on the point, but it's okay. Let's just assume. But just all things being equal, which restaurant do you rather go to? Uh. Get behind me, Satan. Yeah, right. Chick-fil-A. Why? Because the experience is different. Because they seem to value what? Serving. That's why they're the leaders. That's why when anybody wants to learn about customer service, where do they go? Chick-fil-A. Because they seem to value serving and even if their product is on the same level, it gives them a leg up. It's attractive. You see the spiritual analogy here. We should be marked by spiritual Chick-fil-A sauce, right? That's, th there should be in us a heart that says we love to serve. Thank you. It really is our pleasure. It really is our pleasure because we have been stamped by Jesus and given a heart that loves to serve and bless others. And here's the reality. This is something that I've seen plainly in the life of Gospel Hope. This is not something I am browbeating about. This is something that you folks excel at. I have seen people give generously to meet financial needs. I've seen people open their homes when others are struggling. I've seen people bring a meal or show up with a hospital when a health issue arises. I've seen people pitch in when others are moving, and that takes real love. <laughs> These are all signs of health, and we should be grateful for them. But let's ask God to maintain the mindset among us that is this. When one of us wins, we all win. We're not competing with one another. We're if we're competing in anything, we're trying to outdo one another in showing favoritism and love and service. Let's try to love one another better. So a commitment of Christian community is that we are deeply, deeply, deeply in on serving and humbling ourselves. So you may hear all this and say, man, Ryan, I, I'd love to be a part of that type of community. But if I'm honest, I'm just not sure it's in me. I mean, that seems fairly radical to call us to be so committed to Jesus that we share this common salvation, that we're caring for other people, that we're serving other people. I'm not sure that that's in my heart. Well, here's the good news. Look at verse number five. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death of cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The point of this section of scripture is not simply to say, look, Jesus was humble, but rather to say, Jesus humbled himself to enable you to humble yourself. Some versions even translate verse five as this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, whatever the translation, the idea remains the same. Jesus died in part to enable you to be humble. He didn't just die to take you to heaven. He died to make you humble now. If you are in Christ, if you are in him, you have the ability to be like him. Jesus is both our example, that's good, but he's our empowerment too. Jesus doesn't call us to do something that he doesn't enable us to do. Whatever God calls, he also supplies. Yes, the community that I described is countercultural. Yes, the community that I described is humanly inexplicable, but it is not of our, out of our reach. If you trust in Christ, you can learn to lay down your life for the good of others. It is his DNA that flows through your veins. So if you feel isolated or alone or socially awkward or incapable of meaningful relationships, Will you trust that Jesus died to give you a father and brothers and sisters? He died to make you family. And what does family do? They just love each other. If you, like all of us, long to belong, we all want to belong. We all want to be known. We all want to be loved. Will you dare to believe that there is a place for you through Christ. There is a place for you through Christ. Jesus died so that you could belong, not just to him, but to us. The message of the gospel is that there is a reconciliation that happens this way with God and also a reconciliation that happens this way with your brothers and sisters. And right now, the Father is saying, come, come, be reconciled, not just to me, but to them as well. Be part of my family. Be, be weak, be needy, but be long, be part, be known, be loved. Will you dare to believe that through Jesus, that is possible? I want to close in a very simple way today. Will you stand with me right now? just as kind of a, a symbol to help us remember this, will you just reach across the aisle and reach with those people right next to you and we just link hands. It's all the way across. This is just a tangible way to remind us that we're not alone. This is your family. If you have trusted in Jesus, you belong. You are loved. You are parked. I'm just going to quietly, I don't know what the struggle of your heart is. But I'd like you just quietly right now, while linking hands with these folks, just begin to cry out to God. Lord, I want to experience community. I feel alone. I feel broken. I feel awkward. But I want to belong. I want to know I'm part. Will you give me the courage to believe that? Right now, talk to the Father.
Lord, would you help us? Help us to know that through Jesus, we can belong. And that you sent your son so that we could be part of your family, that we could be reconciled to one another. And I pray for this church, that this body of believers would be marked by the type of community that is sweet, that is attractive, that is Christ-like. And those that feel so isolated would want to be a part. That the love that we have for one another would be so attractive, would be so countercultural, that it would appeal to those that, Lord, they're hurting. But I pray for some in our midst this morning who Lord, their biological family has rejected them. They feel alone. I pray that they would strive to be connected. They would experience the gift of community through Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.